Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is so great to be back after a week break. Um, we are finally hiatus. back. Yeah, quick hiatus. Yeah. Um, it is so good to be back with you all. My name is Robert. I'm a ministry associate with Ministry State. Uh, with me, as always, is my very good friend and colleague, Will Stockdale, also a ministry associate with Ministry State. It is Thanksgiving week. Personally, if it weren't for the importance of Christmas, my favorite holiday of the year, I love Thanksgiving. Um, and so this is a very exciting week. Uh, Will, what do you have on the docket for this week? Gosh, uh, yes. Well, yeah, welcome back. It is good to be back. We took a hiatus last week. Um, some travel stuff was going on and just easier or, or too difficult to record. So, well, let me quickly week- say, let me quickly say, I was traveling for a, a wedding and I want to give a quick shout out because uh, the groom and the bride are both listeners, faithful listeners of the Will and Rob show. So, I did want to give a quick shout out. So, thank you to Lee and Natalie, now Hopper, uh, for a very fun wedding in Fort Worth. Uh, it was a grand old Texas time, uh, and it was uh, a blast. So congratulations to those two. I heard you got in a round at the Colonial. Did, and it was amazing, although my score uh, was not that great. So that's okay. Yeah, but that's, that's uh, immaterial. That doesn't okay, matter. Of course, of course, of course. So sorry, Will, what do, you, what do you got going on for Thanksgiving this week? What do I have going on? This Thanksgiving, I am going to be flying home. I'll be spending Thanksgiving in Alito, Texas with my parents, flying out Wednesday morning and then going to uh, fly back to D.C. on Monday. And actually, I just realized that for Christmas, since I'll be out of D.C. for a couple weeks, I'm actually going to drive back. I know it's further down the road and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but going to be spending time with my parents and uh, my brother will be back and older sister, younger sister will be in Nacogdoches, back of nowhere, as they like to say far east texas beautiful country and my uh my we'll be spending some time with my grandmother and so just a weird i mean that, that that's kind of one of the big things i think we want to talk about was just the weirdness of thanksgiving and then um in addition to that some of the failures of leadership governing leadership that we've seen that have um been unfortunate and that they have compounded the difficulty of this situation and what you have to say about that well i mean it's tough because in many ways, I think we're all really struggling this Thanksgiving because it's, there's no doubt that this pandemic is far more serious than we ever imagined it was going to be. I mean, I remember we've been talking about this uh, for a while now. Like when we got the order, when we were on Capitol Hill that day, uh, what, what was that, March? early March, maybe late February, we got the, the news that the Capitol was shutting down. And I remember like the, the talk was like, okay, we'll be back in two weeks. Like we're going to flatten the curve and we'll come back. And I don't think we had any idea that we'd still be like in that position in November and then seeing a surge in, in cases, although there's a lot of debate about that. But um, uh, the point being that it's been a really long and hard year. And so, yes, I'm frustrated with the, the, hypocrisy of some of some leadership that i've seen you know the instituting these really tough thanksgiving mandates and then clearly not following them themselves and at the same time i i guess i have a quite a bit of sympathy and empathy to go around for everybody because i just think it's really hard i mean i think it's just really hard to balance you know the good desire to be with family after a really long and hard year and at the same time of trying to make sure that 
we're taking responsible action, being safe and not putting people at risk. Um, and that's just a really tough formula. And I, I think it could have been handled way differently. I, I would have much preferred to see a, a lot more empathy coming from political leaders, which is something I didn't really see. I saw a lot of kind of, you know, you better do this, stop being selfish, that kind of stuff, instead of really empathizing with people and realizing that it's been a hard year. People want to be together with family and that's a good thing. And even if that's not possible, we should at least lament and, and um, uh, just kind of be there for folks. What do you think about the line that I've heard before that we may not be able to be with each other physically, but we can be with each other spiritually. If a pastor were to say that I would take that more um, uh, with, 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 with more substance part of that could be because there is a lack of sympathy, it seems, for people not being able to be with family. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to what do you mean by spiritual? I'm trying not to be a total cynic today, um, but I feel like when that word is used by, especially government leaders at this time, it's often used as sort of like a, haha, gotcha. Like, because the, the enemy of not the enemy, but the the antagonist to a lot of this stuff, it seems to be sort of more conservative, more religious, more traditional sort of folks. And um, it's often coming from political leaders that don't share a lot of similar uh, beliefs about things. And so when, when a, uh, a, a governor or a mayor comes out and says, well, we can be together spiritually, not physically, that often feels like sort of like a, let me get you with your own words, your own beliefs. Um, you know, there's no doubt that folks like you and I would agree that, you know, spiritual is a real thing. You know, the, the, the dichotomy is not between spiritual and real or physical and spiritual. It has more to do um, with a whole bunch of other theological issues. So yes, we can gather spiritually uh, in a sense, like we do at the table, but that's not the sense that I get. That's, that doesn't seem to be the the language that's being used. It seems to be to me to be more about um, don't be selfish. It's they're they're trying to like not put as much emphasis on the importance of being together physically. When at the end of the day, we all recognize that there's just something more special about being able to spend holidays physically with family. Well, there's something else that you've brought up, and so I'll steal your um, topic here and just shoot it back to you. But there have been at least one Twitterati member, Twitterata, who has questioned, have we made an idol out of the family? Because there are so many people who want to be together on Thanksgiving. Is what we have done and our, des- our expressed desires to be with people in person in the middle of a pandemic and uh, the frustration at us not being able to, is that reflecting some kind of idolatrous bent and how we view f- family? And I think just, yeah, go for it. Yeah. That, that take drives me nuts. Um, for, first off, I would just say, you know, you brought this up too, cause I was kind of ranting at you about it and you, you had a good check on me and I, I appreciate it. So I think it's worth saying here too, like it, there's no doubt that we can create an idol out of the family. Um, uh, but I would say that when I've seen that in real life and as I experienced myself, often the idol making comes with 
how we treat our children, especially like their accomplishments, or how we treat the nuclear family like as an idol. Um, and so we we value uh, uh, the sort of traditional uh, mother, father, two children, you know, golden retriever on your white picket fenced house kind of uh, idol. Um, instead of sort of really understanding that there's a lot of different families that God can use and redeem for good. Uh, I think that the issue with that I have with that, that take that we've made an idol out of family because of where we want to be together with at, for, at Thanksgiving is that in no way could you say in America that we have put an idol on uh, particularly the extended family. I mean, the, the statistics in America show that, you know, what was normal, you know, just 50, 60, 70 years ago was having multiple generations in a, in a household because your grandparents moved in with your family when they got old or, or needed care. Um, you oftentimes had cousins or, or, you know, folks like that living uh, at your house, kind of like a full house sort of model. In no reasonable sense could you say that we still have that sort of idol making because I live out in Woodbridge. There's a ton of retirement communities out here. And it seems to me to be the fact that there's a lot of folks in the DMV area who that's kind of where they ship off their parents when they get old and sick. So they're like within distance, but like, we don't want you too close. The, uh, so I, I don't think that you could possibly say that there's an idol making um, with family because you want to spend uh, Thanksgiving together. Also, like, like I said, it's been a hard year. I mean, people find a lot of comfort and security and safety within their family. And so after basically six months of a pandemic, it's completely natural and reasonable for them to want to spend time with family. And that's a good thing. Like, yeah, I, I don't want to go too much on a rant here. So, you know, push back on me, but do you, what did you make of the comments? Cause that's, I'd appreciate your, your commentary on here. Well, something that you had said, again, I'll steal something from you is, and, and this is just typical human behavior. This is not new during the pandemic. It is that we will, uh, we'll, but we'll use the pandemic as an example. If something that an individual cherishes has to be given up or lost, it is something worth lamenting. And then we'll circle around people who are like us in it, around that particular thing and lament together. If it's something that I and my group do not consider a lamentable loss, then um, we will not circle around that and then say that it's sad that we can't do that anymore and that it's just a necessary sacrifice that we cannot gather and in some ways it may be actually that the tweet shows the opposite of what it was intended is that well actually if if there is not some willing acknowledgement of the fact that family is good that it is important that that it, we do benefit from being with multiple generations of people in one place. And if we pay attention to that, we learn way more than just that we can have a good meal and laughs or even arguments, that there are stories, generations, lessons, wisdom, inexperience, experience all gathered in one place. And to say that um, we have made an idol of that when clearly, as you've said, we haven't, may actually show, oh, okay, well, I think the problem is actually an undervalue and underappreciation of what this is, uh, of what the family is and what its valuation uh, it, and its its purpose is. Um, and goal. Yeah. So, you, and you, you brought out a good point too, which is that it also, while there's an idol of, of family and all that kind of stuff, and there's an idol of maybe, let's say, individual autonomy uh, during a pandemic of personal freedom. Uh, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there to be controversial, but uh, on the flip side, 
there's also an idol of sort of like what you have said, uh, an idol of stoicism of uh, look at me. I, I don't uh, feel anything with the pandemic because I'm a X, Y, Z. Um, I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because uh, I don't have that kind of attachment. And I think that we need to be careful about that as that as well. And you've, you've made a good point about that. I think it's important for me to remember, I, I don't know much about the science here. I don't know much about um, how the, the, the ease or difficulty with which it spreads, but I think most of us have a pretty good sense on how this is affecting people socially and spiritually and communally. And I'm more interested in that. I'm more interested on looking at, Hey, what do we need to do for people? How do we need to care for people in order to give them um, uh, the fellowship that's needed? You know, if I drive on, on 395 or 695, if I'm driving around DC, people are shorter with each other. They are more frustrated. Um, behavior is more erratic. Uh, there, there are certainly um, bad social behaviors that are happening because we're not able to be around each other as much. Um, and this is having very real psychological effects on us. And um, we could go on and talk about kids need to be in school and the benefit of socialization with other kids being around one another. Um, geez, I mean, the, the proverb iron sharpens iron seems super relevant here. And just we learn and grow through being with other, well, I guess you could say image bearers and how that challenges us and, and encourages us. For sure. I think you're totally right. And it's doubly, you know, it's, to me, it's like exponentially worse because the pandemic has, for many people, not just isolated us from each other, but actually instilled fear of each other um, because we're so afraid of catching the virus from each other. I, I noticed that when I walk down the sidewalk, even masked and, you know, socially distanced, I see people, you know, moving out of their way, crossing the street. It, it's just, it's an interesting, um, development because of the pandemic. And I think you're totally right about the psychological effects. And I'm super concerned that we go through a Thanksgiving where most people remain isolated. They don't go visit family. They don't, they do a Thanksgiving by themselves. And then um, we do this all again in a month when Christmas rolls around and a holiday that's even more for even for, for a lot of people is even more um, charged with value because of spending time with family and um, all that. So. I'm really concerned about it all. I guess I want to go back to your point about the lamenting versus idol making, because I think that that's a very, let's say it unpopular thing to say, I think in evangelical circles right now or in Christian circles right now. And one thing that you've also been hitting on with me, especially in our, in our texts and, and hanging out is that, um, the pandemic has also revealed some other unpopular doctrines uh, that we could, I think the church could have been much more vocal about from this whole, this whole time and really have pre preached a different message. Um, and instead, I think we've, we've found that there's folks who don't really want to talk about it as much. Um, so what, for the, for the sake of our listeners, like what are some of those unpopular doctrines that you're seeing avoided during the pandemic? Well, they're, they're not just related to the pandemic. They're related to events that have occurred during the pandemic, I think. And um, a lot of Christian leaders and Christians responding to any host of issues. There is currently a very strong focus on the here and now. There is a very strong focus on um, 
uh, royal image bearing, I think there is a lot of which, which by that I mean that First uh, Peter talks about or talks about us being priest kings, uh, royal priesthood, and um, the doctrine of heaven coming to earth at the end in Revelation twenty two. Uh, I think there's a strong emphasis on loving our neighbor, which is all, those are all good and all true. I, what, what I've seen lacking, and I noticed this, I was teaching a Bible study on Philippians. And I mean, Paul is famous for describing himself as a servant, as a Greek word doulos, um, as a bond servant. Uh, I don't hear a lot of that language currently. I see that. And I think that in a time of pandemic, being service oriented, and I say this with a level of conviction, uh, being convicted, uh, that we, we, it is important for us to remember that, yes, we are, we are uh, royal priesthood, but we are servants of the high, the high king, the great prophet, priest, and king. And the other one that I think has been very unpopular, and I think it's almost people are reticent to mention, at least Christian church leaders are, uh, is the doctrine of heaven. I think that one has been I mean, almost utterly silent. And I don't mean heaven coming to earth, but I mean to live as Christ and to die as gain, that we go to be with the Father, that we uh, that there is great joy in where the saints are gathered around the throne, that it is good to be in heaven. And so that that one seems to me to not be mentioned because there's this thought that, well, if we do talk about heaven and that to live as Christ to die is gain, the sense of dying and gain and going to be with Jesus, that we somehow undercut our social agenda here on earth, which is good. It is good to love our neighbor. It is good to care for those around us. But I think we've so lopsided the conversation and we've made it so heavy on the here and now that there's no room to talk about heaven and the fact that that is where our hope is. Our hope is in and with Jesus. And uh, I think it exposes, to bring it back to idolatry, the idolatry we have of what we think we can accomplish in the here and now. Yeah, I, I, I think you're totally right. I, I think particularly the, the doctrine of heaven and, you know, to die is gain. I don't know if it's been avoided during the pandemic because it, it seems too sensitive. It seems too, we don't really want to touch that right now because we don't know what people are going through. Maybe they've lost a family member uh, to COVID and they're really suffering with grief or, or tragedy. But at the same time, it seems to me that this is also a perfect time to be talking about these things because I, I was having a conversation with one of our colleagues the other day uh, about this. And he was saying that, he's noticed a, a difference between um, people who are willing to go back to church, uh, have services, maybe not wear a mask at sometimes, uh, what have you. And, and he, he's seeing really a generational gap. Uh, it seems like older generations are fine um, to do, to do those things. Younger generations, not so much. Uh, and that he's specifically speaking within a church context, but I think it's true across the board. Uh, even if, it, if folks aren't churched, and one hypothesis that I threw out, and I don't know, I'd like to get your t- takes on it. Is, is it because an older generation still has a, has a general uh, uh, tendency or leniency towards heaven and the idea of, of gra- grappling with death and the younger generations that are more agnostic, maybe even within a church context, more focused on what we can do here now that we're secretly terrified of death. And so we can't really, uh, that, that's why you see a lot of this, this differences on masks and social distancing and 
pandemic responses and blah, blah, blah. I mean, what, what do you think about that? I, I think we're definitely terrified of death. Our generation is, we don't talk about it. You don't mention it. You don't bring it up. Uh, through someone else, I was reminded of the, the phrase memento mori, uh, remember your death. And that has actually been a good thing to think about. Uh, my finitude and mortality is a good thing to be reminded of. I, I do think that that's the case. I think that's probably some of it. Um, we're a strange generation in that we love experiences. Uh, we love being able to travel and go places and do things. Um, but we also love just being able to sit at home and watch Netflix and have everything available to us immediately. I mean, Amazon Prime uh, came about as we were coming of age and just after college. And so I think that there's something to that too. There's been a conditioning of the comfort of just being able to stay home. The problem is that, and I heard someone say this recently, like, you know, I really shouldn't be complaining because look at how good I have it here. I mean, and by that, they mean, you know, like a stocked fridge and air conditioning and a comfortable bed and couch and all these things. And it's like, yeah, I mean, those are good, but um, those are only satisfying if that's what we're made for, if that's what our, our purpose is. And um, there's this um, sense, I think that, yeah, look, don't you have all these consumer goods? Shouldn't you be content in your home? And it's like, no, no, because that's actually not uh, what I'm, what we're here for. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And I think also your, your doctrine about servant, being a servant, being a servant of Christ uh, in, in opposition or it, c contrasted against the doctrine of um, the royal priesthood. Um, I mean, practically speaking, where have you seen that played out? Where do you see its its origin for why we're not talking about that as much? Do you, do you see something with, you know, an, an event within the pandemic or just kind of general cultural trends to, to explain that? Well, this may not seem totally intuitive at first, but I think it has to do with our activism. Uh, we are a generation, uh, a, a, I don't know how far it extends each ways below, above millennials, below millennials, but we want to change things and do things and be activists. Um, if I look at all the books that are being published from like InterVarsity and Baker, they are, most of them are not, um, here's how to think deeply about your faith. Uh, they're not J.I. Packer's Knowing God. They're not substantive, rich theological uh, examinations. Um, they're not even... Um, like spiritual life books. Uh, they are, in fact, here is how to be an activist in your faith. Mm. And here is how to go about changing things, um, which is very da dangerous when people just shoot off at the hip um, without actually having any real basis or foundation. And uh, if you're just a priest, King, but not a servant, if I'm not an understudy of Jesus, if I'm not someone who's meant to learn from him what scriptures say, then yeah, I can cut that out and I can actually go straight for the activism because I know as much as anybody. And that seems super millennial. I mean, that attitude seems like uber, like you don't need to tell me what to do. I can figure this out on my own. Um, I think it's just in the water. And I, I think that um, as a result, we've just cut out the, the servant element, the reminder of, hey, no, you are uh, to, to be a follower of Jesus, first of all. Um, and then you can be an activist later, I guess. But even then, you're not an activist. You're, you're a disciple. You're a... Um, yeah, I think that's totally true. That's, that's really insightful. I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, 
do you think that generally speaking it's because and maybe this is maybe this is really a conversation for a late a different day or or later day but you know i think one thing i've noticed especially with the un, the the hesitancy to talk about these unpopular doctrines is really a a fear of of being different of being maybe somewhat opposed to the cultural trend and so you know it's one of those things where it's like, hey, all of your secular friends are activists. Now you can be one too, but for Jesus. Um, and yeah, go ahead. Well, I think it's even further than that. I think it's it's used as a kind of evangelistic tool mm. um, where it's not even like, hey, I want to be like them. There, There is that, certainly. But there is uh, an excuse to say, um, I can behave a certain way. Uh, I can say certain things. I We need to do... Um, these behaviors in order to reach the culture, in order to win over the culture, because that's what they're after without any questioning of like, hey, maybe that's not the right way to do it. Maybe that's not the right approach to take. Right. Like I keep thinking we've seen basically a year of activism of people taking to the streets, marching, protesting, what have you. And, uh, you know, I think there's a legitimate, go ahead. On both sides, we should say. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And I think that maybe I'm being too critical here, but, you know, for the most part, not a whole lot has happened because of the protests or activism. I mean, in terms of like substantial policy changes in terms of, you know, has, has this thing changed? Has we changed the law on the books? Have we changed uh, for the sake of the, the Trump protests? Like the election's not getting overturned. Like there's just a lot of substantive changes not happened from these things. And so, you know, I, th- I think it's reasonable for people to, to, who are looking at that sort of culture as Christians who are trying to say, how do we win people? How do we show people a different way? How do we, how do we win them over to Christ? And, you know, being able to say, hey, th- I don't think this activism is going to end up fulfilling anybody. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of jaded people come the end of 2021. There might be even a lot of jaded people come the end of Joe Biden's first presidential term. You know, what is the church going to have to say to folks who are, who've spent, you know, a good substantial part of their time you know, doing these things and haven't found fulfillment, well, what if there's a different way for them? You know, that, that seems to me to be sort of like the winning evangelical approach, even uh, uh, evangelism approach. But it seems like there wasn't a lot of that kind of thinking. It seemed to me more like, yeah, let's dive into this. I, I even see it a lot with a lot of the, um, the transitioning to like online church and, you know, digital church. And, you know, I, I, there were kind of like a few people that were sort of in the, uh, in the waiting for something like this to happen to be like, we've been saying this for years. And it's, you know, it's like, what if there's still something about physically gathering and gathering together and that digital church isn't the, uh, the sort of innovation that we need. I don't know that that's sort of a lot. There's a lot there and there's a lot to pick out and, and, and piece through there, but I don't know. That's kind of my general sense with all this. Yeah. I think in this episode, one of the things that we have done is kind of, uh, spray shot a lot of different topics that probably should be addressed one by one uh, more in depth from how do we deal with leaders who are being hypocritical or at least not living up to the standards that we want for them to? What do we do about the effects of of isolation and a lack of socialization? Um, How do we think about celebrating things with our families? What are some doctrines that we need to focus on? a lot of a lot of ground covered at a very uh, high or uh, just scratching the surface. So we will need to 
take these things on probably a little more in depth at some point. So on that note, I'll uh, wind us down. And uh, Robert, actually, I want to know, what is your favorite uh, Thanksgiving food? Ooh, my favorite Thanksgiving food. I mean, my mom makes uh, a mean green green bean casserole um, that I'm very sad I will not get to have this year. But my wife is cooking an amazing Thanksgiving dinner just for the three of us. Since we just finished traveling, we're going to hang out at home and just have some time together as a family uh, and participate in the, the longest of and oldest of Hassler traditions for Thanksgiving, which is waking up, watching the parade, starting to eat, turning on the Cowboys, complaining about the Cowboys, calling every member of our family to complain about the Cowboys, um, and then eating more. So I'm very excited uh, for this Thanksgiving. And uh, Will, Will, I do want to know about your th- favorite Thanksgiving food, but also, you know, what, what's something you're thankful for this year? We, we had a very long episode where we did a lot of, uh, I know, at least on my part, a lot of complaining, a lot of cynicism, but there's a lot to be thankful for. You wrote a great devotional about this uh, that was out this week um, about what we can be thankful for even in a pandemic. So, um, Will, what, what are you thankful for this year? I, you know, that's, gosh, that's a really good question. And I, convicting when thinking about all of the uh, criticisms that I can so quickly jump to and that I did write a devotional on Thanksgiving and <laughs> should uh, keep that close to my heart. <laughs> Memento Devo, maybe. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm very thankful right now for uh, getting to spend time with my family for Thanksgiving. I'm just uh, very thankful for the example of my parents and uh, the love they have for me and the, uh, it's 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 means a lot to have them be excited that I'm coming home for Thanksgiving and uh, I, I'm it's just yeah it means a lot. That's awesome, man. My favorite food is uh, I think the stuffing. I mean, no doubt, no doubt. You, what are you thankful for? Oh, I, I think one thing I would want to say. I mean, obviously, I'm thankful for my family. Obviously, I'm thankful for um. Uh, this podcast, uh, being able to record it with you and and our faithful listeners, I'm thankful for them. Um, I think one thing I would want to emphasize is you know, we spend a lot of time in our podcast um, talking about a lot of stuff we're seeing within ministry that w- we find troubling or we find problematic or we're upset about. Um, and we spend a lot of time being critical about some aspects of ministry. And I, I think one thing I, I want to say is that I, I do think we're, we're, we try to be fair. I think we always do give the best argument from the other side. And we only do it because we, we love and we care about ministry. We, we love Christ and his church and, and we care for it deeply. And so we want to make sure uh, that we are obeying him in every area of our life, including ministry. Um, and I, I guess what I do want to say is I'm, I'm also very thankful for the many ministry leaders who we, who I would say have exhibited a tremendous leadership, obedience, faithfulness during this chaotic time. Um, we work for a couple of them. Uh, I think that there's so many criticisms to level at the church and, and, and at ministry right now, at least from my own point of view. Um, and at this, for every criticism uh, of someone that I can, I can think of, uh, there's another person who I think has, I have just tremendous respect for and have, uh, really learned a lot and want from and want to learn more from. So I, I think that's what I'm thankful for. It's a great way to end. So thank you all so much for tuning in. You can follow Robert Hassler on Twitter at RD Hassler. You can follow me at Stockdale. Will, uh, please subscribe, leave us a review. We hope you have a very happy, restful, and life-giving Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.